You're listening to Perry Noble's Thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. For daily insight, please check out perrynoble.com. Well, hello and welcome to the March 2013 edition of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast. Woo-hoo. My name is Shane. I'll be your host today, and we're super excited about uh, today's topic. But before I get to that, I just want to mention one thing that we want all of our listeners to know, especially church leaders out there, is that New Spring uh, Church gives away all of its resources things we create on video, kids ministry ideas, everything that we own and can we give away. And you can find those resources at newspring.cc backslash resources. And we want you guys to leverage that um, resource as best you can for your church. So don't miss out on that. The Perry Noble Swimsuit Edition calendar is going to be available this month too. It's going to be it's going to be absolutely amazing. Yeah, I can't I wait. I hate to break it to you, Perry, but we had to put the kibosh on that. Okay, uh, my bad. <laughs> I thought it was a great idea. But if you send in a donation of $1.5 million, <laughs> we'll get that we to you. We will get that to you. Amen. All right. Well, here's uh, what we're going to do today. Something very special, really just developed a little while ago, literally. And so what we're going to do today, today's topic is going to be random questions with Perry Noble and a very special guest. And you might be asking, who is that very special guest? Well, the very special guest is Pastor Stephen Furtick from Elevation Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, plus six more places, right? Tell us a little bit about uh, your church, Pastor Stephen, and uh, anything you want us to know about you. Well, it all started at Sullivan's, a fine dining establishment in Anderson, South Carolina, where a... uh, where uh, a leader, uh, a leader of leaders, Perry Noble, sat down with me one day and said, I think you should start a church, and I think it should be in Charlotte, and I think it should lift people to higher levels in God. And I said, should we call it Elevation? And, uh, and then he laid we, his hands on then me. Then he passed the doobie to me, and I said, I don't think that right. happened. That's did it happen right. that way? No, no, but we did. Uh, actually, we were talking earlier today about how how much um, Perry and New Spring have meant to us and our church. And, you know, I started um, dreaming about starting a church when I was 16, and we started in 2006. And, of course, you know, you guys have been so instrumental in what God has done in our church, teaching us kind of both from how we got started and kind of being a big brother church to us along the way. So we've seen God do some great things. About seven years now that we've been up and going and uh, still trying to figure it out and and, uh, appreciate all you guys have done for us. Well, we're really glad you're here. So what I'm going to do is we got some people together and thought up some great leadership questions that we thought we would ask two of the best leaders we know, at least two of the best leaders at this table, right? So we're going to make sure that we ask you guys uh, these great questions, and here we go in no particular order, but I know our listeners out there would love to hear your thoughts on these things. First one's relatively simple, but I think uh, we'd like to know the answer to this. Are leaders born or are they developed? Perry, we'll start with you. I think everybody's born. Um, I mean, that's a fact. That's a medical fact. If you're here, you were born. Sure. Your mom and your dad at least one time. Anyway. That is is good. That's a little gross, too. That's good. Um, I I honestly think both. And that's kind of like the cop-out answer. I guess that's the safe religious answer. But I think everybody has some sort of leadership potential. But then the Bible's very clear that there is a spiritual gift in all of us. But I think gifts, even though they're there, need to be developed. And so I think everybody has some leadership potential, but I think great leaders are truly developed over a, over a period of time. What do, you th- what do you think? 
Well, if we say that they're born and then that, you know, there's some sort of destiny attached to it, you know, it would be kind of negating the the responsibility that we have both to grow in our leadership and to help others grow in their leadership. So I think it is possible that somebody could be born with tremendous leadership potential, but mm-hmm. never have anyone see it in them or call it out or show them, hey, here's what that is. And maybe then they misdirect that leadership potential or they squander it. You know, you could have somebody who was who was meant to do something significant for God and ends up uh, selling drugs. So I think that a lot of times that leadership ability will manifest because they're born with it. But to what end it manifests or to what purpose it's put to use, that depends on whether someone helps them steer it, helps them gear it toward the things of God, helps them find a niche for it, helps them develop the disciplines along the way that will allow that gift to emerge. Because, yep. you know, if I have a musical gift, but I never learned to play my scales, you know, what good does the music that would have been inside of me ever do? So I think that it's accurate to say both, but not in a way that kind of negates our responsibility to take born leaders and turn them into the greatest iteration of leader that they could possibly be. Yeah, and it, that all goes back to self-motivation versus laziness. I mean, some leaders, I think you're right, they've got that ability to go to the next level, but they're too lazy to develop that gift. Hmm. That's awesome. That's a great lead into the next question. What, in your opinion, is the best way to develop new leaders, especially in a growing organization, because you both lead those? Well, for me now, it's a little bit different because um, – I think I am um, leading leaders who are leading leaders who are leading leaders. And in the earlier days of our church, it was a lot more hands-on. Put everybody mm-hmm. in the car with you all the time and call it a staff meeting. Mm-hmm. And you could directly communicate everything to everyone at all times. Now it becomes a lot more about making sure that the heart of why we're doing things is coming across And a lot of times making sure that as many of our staff members or our leaders are exposed to the why behind what we're doing as possible. So in other words, if all people are ever getting is instruction without some sort of kind of reasoning behind that instruction, then they're eventually going to become robots. But if they're being exposed to thought processes as much as possible, if they can know why we choose to make this decision or Mm -hmm. why we do it in this rhythm or what's important to us, the more they can get exposed to the thought process then I think the people who do have those leadership abilities or people who desire to work hard and become leaders, they're going to take that stuff and turn it into gold. And they'll eventually arise, and you'll see who they are because they'll contribute so much. Yep. That's the thing. You nailed it. I had to write that down so I wouldn't forget it. The heart behind – when you're training leaders, one of the things you got to look for is the heart because you can train people that are that are smart, but you, you can't you, – they either have heart or they don't. Right. So I want smart and heart at the same time. Good. And and the, the way that we've discovered is, like you said, I used to be able to have lunch with everybody. But now I think the best way to train leaders is make sure the vision of the church or the department or whatever is clear, concise, and consistent. Mm. It's got to be those three things. Mm. Clear. It can't be ambiguous. It's got to be concise, a sentence or two at the most. Yeah. And it's got to be consistent. It, it's got, by the, time you, by the time you get done saying it and saying it and saying it, by the time they're ready to just throw up because they've heard it so much, mm. they're finally starting to get it. Yeah, good. Um, and that's, that's the best way to train leaders. If you don't make it those three things, I think, I think you're going to miss out. Mm. That's great. Great question. Next question, uh, what's the number one thing that you guys have learned in leading through change? And in the context of... You both planted churches from scratch. Now, you know, whether it's 
seven years later or 13 years later, seven campuses, eight campuses, thousands of people coming. That's lots of change, obviously. So share with our listeners maybe one or two things that you've learned over the years about leading through big changes. For me, two things pop into mind. Um, The first thing is it's easy to change somebody else's idea. It's difficult to change your own idea. True. So when we first started New Spring, everything that we were doing was new and innovative. Like this is brand new. And I could always point to what was wrong with, quote, the church, and we're going to change that. But about four or five years in, you know, we started hiring people that hadn't been around from the beginning, and they would be like, well, why do we do this, and why do we do this, and we need to change it. But the things they wanted to change were my ideas Mm. when we first started that were once new, fresh, and innovative. So my new, fresh, innovative ideas were now outdated ideas that needed to change, and that was difficult having to say, Yes, we need to change something that at one time I thought was new, fresh, and innovative. That yeah. That's a difficult change to navigate through because it gets personal. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, that's fantastic. And we were talking earlier, Perry, about something that is changing in, in our ministries. And you said something, it's changing, but I like it. It's changing, but I love it. Mm-hmm. And I think embracing seasons as a leader uh, has been one of the most freeing and one of one of the most um, joy restoring things for me in in the seven years that we've had the church. I think that to lose somebody, for in, for instance, always felt like a loss for me in the early stages of the church. And when I began to see that pruning is a season too that is just as productive for growth as the times when the fruit is coming in and when you're, when you're harvesting, that's a season. When you're sowing, that's a season. When you're tilling, that's a season. But these are all growth-related. Yep. And the moment I started realizing that, and I'm still learning to understand that and to be aware of that, it takes a little bit of the pain and the sting out of change. To me, um, the changes that are painful are the ones that don't seem productive. As long as I know that this change is producing some growth, as long as this is going somewhere, as long as I feel like the, the change is related to gain, I'm fine with it because I'm the kind of person who likes to be making progress. Yep. It's when I feel like I'm falling backwards, yeah. uh, when I feel like we're, we're not only not moving forward, but we're regressing, then change becomes very painful to me. But I'm learning um, so much about God's economy that you know, sometimes he has to take away in order to add to so that he can make room to multiply something. And the more I'm aware of that, it seems like the less agonizing change becomes. And I can embrace each season for what it is. Hey, some seasons are supposed to be fallow. Some Mm -hmm. seasons are supposed to be barren. That's the nature of seasons. And those seasons prepare the way for the seasons when we're going to see a lot of fruit. So that has taken some of the pain out of the change for me is to realize that there's a time and a purpose for every season. That That was awesome. Oh, well, you, should, yeah. you should write a book on that <laughs> called Changing Greater Sun Standing Still. Dot <laughs> com. Coming soon. Hey, dude, you need to put a dot com on the end of everything. I just think. Dot CC. Dot CC. Now's the time to do it. That's somebody right. Somebody else will. Get them while you can, <laughs> boys. Uh, next question. Uh, obviously, you guys um, are out in front leaders. You're not scared to cast strong vision, set big goals. But uh, what would you tell the leaders out there that are listening that, would be the difference between uh, faith and stupidity when it comes to setting goals. Well, I just thought of a great scripture about Abraham where it says that 
you know, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, yet, you know, he, he reckoned in faith that God was able. And those two things in tension are, are always kind of going to create a contrast that we're always facing facts about the way things are, and we're always holding out hope um, for the way things uh, can be. And so I've kind of um, learned to stop trying to resolve that tension and instead of trying to meet in the middle somewhere, okay, well, let's don't set a ridiculous goal, but let's don't be logical. Let's land somewhere in the middle. I've learned how to do both at the same time, which is to say, this is crazy. This is ridiculous. Wouldn't it be crazy if, and then go for that. I remember one time you taught me something, Perry, where you talked about the difference between having a prayer and having a goal. And uh, it was in the context of something that you were saying, if we pray that God would do something and it doesn't happen exactly the way we pray, at least we stretched our faith. At least we came closer than we would have if we hadn't stretched our faith. So for an example from our world, we uh, wanted to see God provide a certain amount of money at the end of last year, a year-end offering. Oh, gosh. And uh, it was millions of dollars. And I actually, uh, in talking with our expansion team, was stretched by the number they threw out. We think we can raise X amount. And... I got up in front of our church, and honestly, I didn't have the faith to say the number because I thought it was so ridiculous. So what I said was, our expansion team thinks we can raise (laughs) blank amount. Um, I personally have my doubts, but I just at least want to get it out there that these guys think we can do it. And then when we exceeded that number because people gave so generously, I had to stand up and kind of apologize to the expansion team. And it made for a great moment to see that now the people were actually pushing the pastor. And you see how this crazy goal setting and, and uh, not just goal setting, but this, this faith stretching thing is contagious. And so I think it's good um, to have those, those moments where we honestly admit to people, hey, let's go for this. I don't know if we can do it. We might not be able to do it. As long as we're not putting our faith in the hitting of a goal, if we don't hit it, I don't think it'll damage anybody's faith. If we, if we look at Peter as an example, he was close enough to Jesus that when he slipped out in Matthew 14, at least Jesus was able to immediately pick him up, didn't yep. take long. So just try to keep it where we're close enough to Jesus that at least if we go down, we're going to be within reach of his grip. And if we do that, I think we're going to be okay. I'm I'm shocked. I didn't think you used the Bible. So you you made a couple Bible references there. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So Matthew 14 and and then <laughs> Romans uh, Romans and then that's that I'm tapped out after that. Yeah. I had to memorize I had to memorize three of them um, to to start. I'm a pretty church. amazed, man, because I we you know you thought I didn't I, th- I didn't think you used the scripture. Um. Yeah. The whole the whole the whole faith thing. I mean, Hebrews says, uh, without faith, it's impossible. To please God, right. not it's kind of tough, or you know, if you catch him on the right day, right. it's impossible. And so, I, at the end of the day, I thought, well, if God's as big as Scripture says He is, I'm just going to err on the side of dreaming big. And so, for our church right now, we have the goal of reaching 100,000 people. We're going to have a church that has 100,000 people in it, and our our church is just now getting to where they really do believe that, hmm. you know. And like we're a quarter of the way there, That's but right. it's it's one of those things where at the end of the day. It's clear, it's concise, it's consistent, and we've got something as a church we're aiming for, and it's it's stretching everyone's faith because everybody knows it's going to be a God thing. So um, it's it's one of those things where I, I think probably most churches air, probably play it safe rather than take a leap of faith. Mm. But then, you know, stupidity is when I think 
Um, I've like I if I have a big faith idea, I'll bounce it off some of the leaders that I feel like God's put all around me. And if they're all shaking their head and kind of looking at me, going, kind of giving you that bless your heart look, you, you probably know it's that's the difference between faith and stupidity. Mm. And when it becomes reckless, it might be when we're putting people. Um, needlessly in harm's way because of something we claim to have heard from God that's yep. subjective and we haven't counted the cost and we haven't sought wise counsel and we've ignored other clear scriptural admonitions. But when I'm sitting down with my team and they're saying, let's go for it, yep. and uh, there's faith, then you know you get into the idea that most of what God's people were commanded to do throughout the scriptures um, was very illogical and on the surface stupid. It was stupid to go into the promised land and attack the nations that were stronger than Israel was. But because they didn't do the stupid thing, what we would call the foolish thing, you know, the Bible says that um, the wisdom of God is foolishness to man and that the, God uses the foolishness uh, of, of the preaching of the gospel to shame the wise. Yep. So they actually wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, not because they were reckless. We usually think of the risk of mm-hmm. not, of, of, excuse me, we think of the risk of doing something that's crazy. How about the risk of not doing the thing that's crazy that yep. God commanded you to do and getting stuck? So there's a risk on both sides. The risk of doing it and failing big is we may be embarrassed. Uh, we, we, may, we may learn some hard lessons. The risk of not doing it is... We may stop growing, we may dishonor God, yep. we may not see um, everything that He wants to produce in our midst, so there is a risk on both sides, and we have to get to the point where we're, I think, more scared to dishonor God with a lack of faith than we are to, to fail and have, and have to face a little bit of embarrassment. Well, where in the Bible did God ever ask anyone to do anything that, number one, made sense, or number two, was easy? We, we want everything that God wants us to do to make sense and be easy. But none of our Bible heroes are our Bible heroes because they did something that made sense and was easy. Hmm. And it all took faith. In fact, most of the Bible heroes who became cautionary tales are cautionary tales because they did the thing that made sense and was easy rather than the thing that didn't make sense and was Absolutely. difficult. So you're exactly right. Yeah, and we're talking about a lot of Bible, so I'm kind of blown away. <laughs> anyway, That's good. Textbook definition of faith, being sure and certain of things, not seen but hoped for. Yeah. I mean, that's what you guys are saying. Yeah. Next question. You mentioned, Perry, that as our church, a goal for our church is to reach 100,000. Um, but in that, how do you fight against the comparison trap with other churches when it comes to numbers or things they're accomplishing and all that kind of stuff so that numbers and growth don't become a competition with other churches but maybe against society or culture, community, that sort of thing. How do you, how do you protect yourself from that? You know, I didn't for, for years. Um, you know, you, it's easy to get caught up in the, the numbers game, especially with social media. Um, now I can, know what, I can know what went on at, at any church in, in the world by the end of the day through social media. And so comparison is a um comparison is a is a silly game to get caught into and the and the funny thing about the comparison trap is you can never win that game because I can always find a church that we're we're larger than them and so I can feel really great about myself but then I can always find a church or a ministry that's larger than us or doing greater things than us. And so I can feel worse about myself. So I finally came to the point years ago where I've got to, I've got, I've got to be faithful with what I know God's called me to. 
and what God's called, you know, Rick Warren or Bill Hybels or Stephen Furtick or Craig Rochelle or, or what he's called them to, I'm going to trust that they're going to be faithful with what God's called them to. But I've, I've, I cannot compare myself to other ministries or other um, great men of God and say, well, because I'm not doing what they're doing, I'm not faithful. That, that's, not, that, that's not the win. Jesus never said, compare yourself. He said, you know, you be faithful what I called you to do. And so that's just something that I've had to kind of learn the hard way. Because if, if, if I have what I call, I mean, I think Bishop Jake said some men never leave the locker room. And for those of you scratching your head going, does that mean what I said? Yes, that means exactly what Bishop Jake said it, right? So Yeah. Yeah, that's a, you, I mean, you heard that, right? So Take anyway, with the bishop. Yeah, and he's he uses a lot of Bible too. Blows yeah. my mind. Um, but you just never win that game. You, you never win that game. But it's a game that all of, I think all pastors play if we're not careful. Mm. Pastor Stevens? Well, for me, the more I'm, the more I'm tuned into – my sense of calling and knowing that, um, you know, the man with two talents in Matthew 25 got the same affirmation as the man with five talents. And so a statement that has helped me a lot recently is that God will not judge me based on what I do, but based on what I do with what I've been given. And so God well, is looking for a certain Somebody return. Needs to tweet that. Yeah. <laughs> tweet that. Tweet that. Run, tweet that, and so we have a we have a very um, strong proclivity. Very, me and you all the time are wanting to do better and wanting to grow and wanting to see God exceed what what we've seen in the past. But yet, there is something real healthy about every once in a while just stopping and looking around. And you know, I love the Psalm that says, I think it's Psalm forty eight that says, "Walk about Zion, go around her towers, encounter citadels," and it's just a picture of like after a battle walking around and taking inventory of how the towers are still standing. So sometimes in the battle to become better and the best version of ourself that we can be, you know, I think it's important that we, we just open up our eyes and whether it's um, 50 people or, or five people or thousands of people just looking at what God has built, the lives he's changed and taking it in and having those moments where I take it in and say, God, I'm not satisfied because there's more you want to do, but I'm content um, because the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places for me and remembering that I don't deserve any of it and yep. I didn't earn any of it and that it's his. And um preacher came through who has a huge ministry um, and he's about twice my age. I said, what's the one thing you'd tell me today, you know, that, that you didn't know when you were my age? And he was like, well, and he kind of has a country preacher voice. He said, um, sometime real soon before before you go to bed tonight, if you can, you just drive around all your campuses and you look at all of them and just have a moment and say, you know, this ain't bad. This ain't bad. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I, I couldn't get into some of our campuses because we, we don't own the buildings. I'd get thrown off the campus for trespassing. But I did. I drove around a little bit later that week and thought about what God has done in the last seven years. And I know we got a long way to go. But those moments where you take it in and say, you know, God, you've been good to me. You've already done more than I could ever deserve. Yep. If this all ended today, I'm way ahead. Mm. Um, and then celebrating others, too. Mm. You know, I think proactively, when you find somebody who is out ahead of you or they're blessed in a way that maybe you wish you were blessed, if you'll make the proactive decision to celebrate their gift and their success, oh, it'll drain some of that envy and insecurity out of your heart. So let me, ask you th- let me ask you this. Let me ask you this to kind of follow up with that. Because I see, I have, I have a tendency to celebrate. 
and I'll, I'm going to celebrate in our church if four people get saved or yeah. 400 get saved or two yeah. people get baptized. And I love to celebrate what God's doing in other churches too. So mm-hmm. I celebrated with you guys because y'all have eight squillion people get saved at Christmas and, and you know, you, you just see all these things happen. But then you see some people, um, and I've seen articles and you have two going, well, pastors shouldn't talk about this and it, you know, cause it makes other people feel bad or pastors shouldn't say this. And I'm like, I think the church needs to learn to celebrate together. Yeah. Like if I can't celebrate what God's doing in another ministry, Mm. then maybe God's going to take away my reasons to celebrate in my own. Mm. So I'm just kind of curious as to your thoughts on celebrate. I think celebrating the win in other churches is a big way to get away of that co- comparison thing. But what do you think about that? Yeah, because I remember right after Christmas services at New Spring where you had preached eight, nine, ten times, seen a lot of people come to Christ, you know, tens of thousands of people. The next day, you were in the front row with me at Elevation as I finished my Christmas services, just praying with me. And, you know, we had had uh, a big debacle that I was unhappy about in the service before you got there. So you were calming me down so I could go out and preach number nine and uh, on the front row praying for people as I was giving the invitation. And that's something a lot of people will never get to know about you. They'll see on Twitter you know, that you're retweeting the different campuses of New Spring where people were saved and coming to Christ, but they'll never see maybe the phone calls that you're making to a pastor that they've never heard of and maybe another country and someone that you're blessing on the other side of the world who doesn't have a lot of people but encouraging him that he's making a great impact. So for me, the reason that when you celebrate what God is doing, it feels pure, it feels healthy, is because I've had the privilege to see all of the others that you've celebrated behind the scenes. And really, at the end of the day, we're celebrating the Lord. I mean, it's, it's His victory. That's right. It's His trophy. We're just, you know, we're just trying to, to, to lift up the thing that, that He died to accomplish. And I think it dishonors Him when we don't. And finding creative ways to do it, too. Yep. You know, fresh ways to do it. Sometimes we might celebrate a number. Sometimes we might celebrate a milestone. Sometimes we might celebrate an individual. Sometimes we might even celebrate a failure that led us to a, a revelation. And as long as you're being as transparent with people about your failures and about your struggles as you are about celebrating the successes God has given, I think that that's how the Word becomes flesh to people and they see it lived out, you know, with actual passion behind it. That'll preach. That's good stuff, fellas. Uh, what is... Well, let's just go straight to a leadership question. How do you continue to grow as a leader, Pastor Stephen? I'm not just saying this. I know that people make fun of us like we're a love fest and all of this, and we need to get a room, but the fact is... I wish you quit um, holding my hand. It's yeah, making me uncomfortable. I, I mean, I stopped tickling tickling <laughs> you um, for sport uh, a few years ago, it so I'm, I'm getting It was there. better, because it was really awkward in some situations. Yeah, I mean, I don't do it, I don't do it as much anymore. Um, but the problem is, <laughs> um, growing as a leader, um, to me, becomes more difficult the more responsibility you have as a leader, because now you're responsible to always be the one that's talking, you've always got the answers. So, for me... I was thinking today while we were having lunch together, Perry, man, every time I get around him, I want to be a better leader. One thing specifically today was how you see so much good in all the people that are part of your staff. I mean, you just see so much good. And so through you just being you, God was shining the light on some parts of me 
that could learn from that. Well, you could be a lot more optimistic, a lot more positive about people. So me making the time sometimes to be with you and just let our conversation go wherever mm -hmm. is some of the most important time I spend, more than a book, more than a meeting. Some of the most productive, I don't know for you, but some of the most productive breakaway times for me were last-minute things where, hey, let's clear everything and meet each other, and we spend four hours together, but those four hours might awaken something in me that I didn't see in the day-to-day. -day. So I have to find like relationships with, with other leaders that I can disappear into and just allow who they are to get into me a little bit and, and, kind, of, and kind of get outside my own world. That, right. seems, that seems to be the most refreshing thing to me. Yep. I mean, there's all kind of answers to that question. Read a book, go to a conference, um, and, and all of them are correct answers. But if, if you don't break away from your routine – um, I don't think you'll ever grow as a leader. I mean, if you get caught up in the same, it's kind of like um, if, if sheep go to the same um, pasture to eat every day, pretty soon the grass goes away and all the sheep die because you went to the same place to eat. Right. I mean, you, you got to break out of your environment. And I think the thing that you got to be able to do is learn from leaders that are nothing like you. Because if, if you always hang out with people just like you, that, that's, a, that's boring. Yeah. Um, the other way I grow as a leader um, and Stephen, you and I know you do this too. Is I listen to the to the leaders that God's brought into our church. Yeah, I mean because they're you know they got like they stretch me, mm -hmm. um, and so those are those are just some practical ways that I think I grow. Yeah. What uh, would each of you say is the biggest challenge you're facing today as you lead your church? Um, the the. I think the single biggest challenge that we're facing right now is um, hiring, uh, hiring the right people. Um, it, like I said, you, we've discovered, and I don't want to sound like a broken record. I said this earlier in the podcast. Um, I don't want to smile. I don't want to hire smart. I want to hire heart. Um, and and heart is just one of those qualities that either people have it or they don't. And you can't. I mean, I think people's heart can grow larger for a church or for a ministry, but I don't think you can, I don't think you can necessarily make people have heart. Um, so finding the right staff member, like somebody that loves Jesus and loves the church, and are willing to do whatever it takes to make sure it goes to the next level, that's a that's not always easy to find. So our biggest challenge right now is. Um, hiring and making sure we've got the right people in the right positions doing the right thing. And then, oh God, I think every organization our size, you know, church or non-church would say communication. Communication's mm -hmm. always a challenge, mm -hmm. making it clear, concise, consistent. I don't, what, what's your biggest challenge? Um, probably answering the question, you know, what should I be doing now? And what was I doing that has now become not only ineffective, but counterproductive? Mm. Um, first few years of the church, it's it's probably natural and maybe best if the leader is producing most of the ideas, yep. signing off on all of the elements, and kind of informing all of the decisions. And as that changes over time, um, it becomes a little bit about you know when you're when you're when you're driving and you're you're hitting the gas and accelerating. There comes a point as a leader when um, you actually have to take your foot off of that accelerator um, in order to go somewhere. And, and I know that doesn't make sense in the car analogy, but it does in the leadership analogy is that 
if I'm always driving every idea, if I'm always driving um, every, every thought to completion, um, then I'm not raising up anybody. They're not learning how to think. And also, um, a lot of people are more talented than me in certain areas right now. And so rather than me weighing in on every decision, learning the art of withdrawal and, mm-hmm. and selective uh, removal of myself from certain discussions and conversations, it's weird because it feels strange to know the best thing I can do is to stay out of that meeting. Mm. The hardest thing I can do is to stay out of that meeting. The best thing I can do is to not coach someone through this because as a leader, you're a coach and your heart is to jump in every conversation, to offer an opinion every time, to let's get this done. But learning that sometimes not only does it short circuit the development of the people, but it actually cheapens the quality of the idea if I weigh in. That's so different than what it was at the beginning that it's hard to get used to. In fact, it's disorienting. Some days you find yourself going, I wonder what I'm supposed to be doing right now. (laughs) I've cleared my time so that I can work on the church. But actually, if I get involved in details, I'll mess things up. The best thing I can do right now is to stay away. And then selectively, you're in the fray, you're in the details. You do very much care about those things. I hear some leaders say after they reach a certain point, well, I don't do the details anymore. Mm. And I go... If you've stopped doing the details, you've stopped caring about the mission That's good. because everything should matter to you. You know, God is a strategic and a micromanager of the universe. He numbers the hairs on our head. He knows every bird that falls out of the sky. But at the same time, we have to change the way that we do the details, addressing things from a level of systems rather than specific incidents. So, you know, just knowing when to stay out of something and when to go into something, that's really tough. And also realizing that I have to spend a lot of time alone so that I can stay in a reception mode yep. where God's keeping something in my well. A friend of mine told me recently, you're spending too much time in transmission mode. If you continue in transmission mode all the time, you will corrode your ability to hear from God and you'll have nothing worth transmitting. Ooh. And so that withdrawal, like Jesus would withdraw to lonely places. And so finding that lonely place as a leader, not weighing in every time you could, and learning that sometimes your presence actually decreases productivity at a certain level. Those are hard things to come to terms with, and I'm still navigating my way through all of that. I think Fiji would be a lonely place. Yeah? Or Bora Bora. What do you think about that? Sounds lonely to me. I mean, I think I need to withdraw there for two, three weeks. What do you think? I think loneliness is is next to godliness. (laughs) (laughs) All right, a couple more uh, questions. How about this uh, for each of you? First, you guys planted a church in a community, I'm assuming, to reach people in that community with the gospel. Mm. But now each of your churches are in various communities, multiple communities, reaching lots of people. You've both written books, gotten accolades for that. You're asked to speak at conferences and events all around the world, literally. You know, there's probably other opportunities you get because of that. But I'm assuming that those were way not, maybe not even in your mind when you planted a church to change a town. Mm. So how do you take all that together and keep the main thing the main thing? I think the – and, Stephen, you and I have talked about this on a couple of occasions. I think the hardest thing for me to wrap my mind around is because of social media, because of the Internet, um, we have a global stage. And I say global. Um, recently, uh, I was in Israel, and I'm standing at the Wailing Wall, 
and a guy walks up to me at the Wailing Wall in in Jerusalem and and literally says, "Hey man, I I love what New Springs doing. I love your church. I watch every week online. Can I get a picture with you?" And I'm like, "I'm in Jer- I'm in Jerusalem. Mm. You know, 20 years ago, that unless you were a on TV, that didn't happen. But so understanding that we have a global stage, but I think for for me, even though I've got a global stage, I want a local mindset. Hmm. And so I never have forgotten the the people that God called me to reach. So I'm always going to use um, Southern humor because that's the primary people. And if people are listening in another culture and they don't get it, that's that's okay with me. I'm I'm fine with that. I don't feel like I don't feel the need to adjust that level of communication to, to try to be global. Now, if God continues to open those doors, that's great. But um, I think being in the community that God's called me to be, you know, that that trip to Target, or I don't, I don't go to Walmart because I don't think Jesus would go to Walmart. I don't think He's there. I think the presence of God does not exist at Walmart personally. Mm-hmm. But that's just my. I think that's as close to hell as a believer can come. And I know there's people probably from Walmart listening to this podcast. And you're like, I'm offended. Well, you should be. You should be offended that you work at Walmart and that your lines are so freaking long. But anyway, I digress. Um, hey, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, global mindset. So I um, we're talking about keeping the, the main the, thing, the, the main thing, right. the but, corporate but, but, sponsorship. No, seriously, well, <laughs> not I mean, distracted I mean, from the main mission. Have, do they not have thirty lines and two know. are open? I don't know. I, they because you don't go to Walmart, do you? No, I haven't See, been in a while. That is a godly man right there. So. <laughs> I've got the global. I, I, we got the global stage, but the the local mindset. I've never forgotten who God's called me to reach, and so I love standing. We've got some environments in, in our church. We got an environment in our church where I can go after the service. I meet new people, and I never hear the story of the the. I never. I never get tired of hearing the story of the single mom, or the drug addict, or the the guy that was his marriage was falling apart, and he walks in. And he shares about how Jesus changed his life. And I'm like, that's why we do what we do. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many Twitter followers I have or, or how many people watch our service. It's that one person that I can look out there and go, man, I've seen Jesus change that guy's life. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, I had, I had a thought um, about a year ago to live for the moment after the moment. And um, it was after, you know, a pretty significant accomplishment in my life. And... I realized that what really made the moment special, what made the moment meaningful, was that after that moment of accomplishment, that my wife um, was in a place where she loves the church, loves the ministry, feels loved by me, and is standing there with me, that, that the team that I serve with, that they are, for the most part, all the ones who started with me are still with me, or there are so many people that have been with me, you know, year after year now on this journey. And so it was the moment after the moment that made it special. So Shane, when you mentioned a few things like, you know, a conference or a book or something like that, to me, those moments where you sign a book deal or, or make, a, make a certain list um, or become a bestseller or anything like that would feel very empty if in the moment after the moment, um, my church is falling apart, yep. my leadership team is dysfunctional, yep. my wife hates the church. So trying to live for the moment after the moment is one way that I keep it in mind that my home needs to stay strong, my body needs to stay healthy. What good is all of this 
if I gain the world and lose my soul, so to speak, in a ministerial sense. So I really try to keep it where, you know, what I have at home is something that I love and love to come home to. I don't mm. want to be out on the road running around from a life that I secretly hate back home. That's good. To me, that would be failure. So just trying to, to live for the moment after the moment seems to make all of it much more meaningful and on target. Mm. Right. Well, I, I know we've gone a little long, but I think our listeners are going to love this. And I really yeah, want to ask you guys one uh, more question each. I know that you guys are great friends, and I know you talk just about every week on the phone. And, Perry, I know just from personal experience how important that is to you, that friendship. And you've mentioned on this podcast before uh, to for people who are senior pastors in particular to find other senior pastors who can relate somewhat to what you go through, who can listen, who can encourage, who can challenge. And so I just, before we sign off today, I would love for each of you just to uh, share a little bit about, one, how do you maintain that, the importance of the relationship, how do you maintain it, um, and why it would be important for other leaders out there to find a relationship similar? I think every pastor needs a pastor. I mean, I think one of the reasons that 90% of the pastors don't make it in ministry is because they don't have a pastor. Um, and so I, I think a, I think too many pastors um, go home and, and download on their wife all the bad stuff that happened, and, and she wasn't geared to – she wasn't wired to be able to handle that. Um, so I think, every, I think every pastor needs somebody that they can call every week and um, – and, and and talk to and so, and so I think I don't know I don't know what you would say to this Stephen but I think the the success of ours and and you and I didn't I, we didn't have a a sit down conversation where we said hey we're going to call each other every week and mm-hmm. it just started happening yeah but it's and it was very but now um it's it's going to happen every week and even if it doesn't happen like. If if we go a week or two without talking to each other on the phone, we've at least left each other a voicemail or we've sent each other multiple text messages or we've said, hey, we missed each other this Sunday. Uh, I've got meetings all day Monday. Let's catch up on Wednesday morning. Um, we're very intentional about it. It's not something that we go, well, we'll, we'll talk when we talk because if, you don't, if you're not intentional about it, it's not going to happen. And I know for me, I mean, there's been Sundays that, I just wanted somebody to celebrate with me, and then there's been Sundays that I wanted somebody just to talk me out of quitting. Yeah. Um, and it, that's it's important to have somebody. I think that's not connected directly with your church because I can talk. I feel like I can talk to my leadership team about any of that stuff too. But it's always nice to have somebody that's not connected with your church that that really does love the big C church and love you that you're going to call them and you can talk to them about anything. And it's not, hey, let's call each other and, and bash other pastors. It's, it's hey, let's call each other and talk about how we're doing. Um, I, there, there's been a lot of Sundays, man, that that phone call's kept me in the game, just I to totally be honest. Agree. I totally agree. And one thing that came to my mind um, as you were asking that question, Shane, is that we might tend to, to neglect or overlook the relationships that God has given us in pursuit of the relationships that we think that we want or that we think that we need. Um, You know, I don't just um, have friends who pastor big churches or churches that are bigger than mine. I spent some time a week or two ago with a friend of mine whose church is not very large, but 
um, you know, I've known him so long and I'm, I'm so connected with him. And we talked about different kinds of things than you and I normally would talk about, but it was very refreshing to me as well. So I know that from time to time, you know, somebody will think, I need so-and-so. I need Perry Noble to mentor me. Right. Boy, I wish I could be friends with Perry. And uh, one, one guy tweeted one time, you know, um, that he wished he could uh, have been in on a phone call that you and I had. We were kind of tweeting each other back and forth and um, talking about a phone call we had just had. And guy was like, man, I wish I could have been in on that conversation. And I'm like, you'd probably be disappointed because <laughs> it's not always the most spiritually rich or th- uh, thought-provoking conversation. Uh, we're just friends. Sometimes that means um, that we tell each other how bad we think we blew it at the 9.15, or, how, or, or how, um, how disappointed we were in ourselves over this or that, or how stupid we felt when, or how much we've struggled with anger. And so a lot of times, I think that, that, that people tend to say, oh, well, I need a pastor who, you know, ha- could show me how to grow a church. Well, you may need the pastor in your town who doesn't have the biggest church, but he's got a great family. Yep. He's got a great marriage. Yep. Uh, and that guy could be a friend to you in so many ways. I do see in the celebrity culture that we've created a sort of desire for people to progress or graduate to new relationships. And I would say that for a lot of us, we just need to invest in the relationships we already have to a certain degree. That's good. Uh, rather than, boy, I wish I could get connected. A guy sat down with me the other day. How you connect with all these other preachers, man? How did you connect with all these guys? And I've never once used the word connect with. You know, we developed a friendship. <laughs> yeah, that's bizarre. Don't, don't, I don't want to connect with you. I know. I mean, it, it is, it is, I, never, I wasn't thinking of it that way, and you just took it to another place <laughs> entirely, which is what you do so well. But Thanks, um, man. in the context of thinking of relationships like a commodity, I think that's pretty sickening. Nobody wants to be somebody's project. Uh, nobody right. wants to treat someone else as a project. But if we're letting the relationships flow naturally, I found that God will send into your life who he knows you need for that season. And when you need somebody else, he'll send somebody else. But be faithful in the relationships you have and go all out. There have been times where you know, I've called you at the last minute and you've been in the car driving to Charlotte to come help me with something or right. see me about something. And vice and versa. We got to go out of our way for each other. You know, we've, we've really got to sow good seed in relationships. If there's going to be any fruit there, those don't just happen. They take some time. They take some commitment, some sacrifice. So if you don't have those deep relationships, it's probably because you haven't sown deeply into the soil of other people's lives. So mm. rather than approaching the relationship, Shane, I guess I would say from what am I going to get? out of you um, how about approaching some relationships from what seed can I sow into somebody else and then seeing if God won't won't connect you to the people that he wants you to be connected to well you said something uh, that it's been on my heart for a while and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up you said the celebrity culture we've created and um, I, I get that um, on on Twitter or I've seen articles written about it you've gotten you know you're just a celebrity preacher you're just right. a celebrity preacher and um, the the thing I know about all these guys that people call them celebrity preachers, and we could list the list. I mean, it's the same list. Is none of them set out to be a celebrity preacher? They all set out to start a church in their town to reach people far from God. I mean, that's. And so when when I remember the very first time we hung out at lunch, uh, you had eight people in your small group or your startup group, and you didn't come to me and say teach me how to be a celebrity preacher. You said, hey, man, let, let's establish this relationship. And, and that's where it started. It's not like, 
hey, you, you know, your church got big and my church got big, and we kind of said, hey, we got big churches and we're near each other. We should be buddies. Mm. It's those relationships that you've had for years and years and years and years that you can trust. You don't need to connect with a celebrity. Most people want to connect with a celebrity preacher, quote, unquote, and I hate that term, yeah. um, to validate themselves. Mm. And you need, to, you need to invest in the relationships that God's put. Look at the relationships that God's given you over the past five to ten years and invest in those rather than trying to say, hey, there's a guy that's got a big church. I think I want to hang out with him. Yeah, very good. It's good stuff. Well, there's this this edition of the Perry Noble Leadership Podcast was full of great stuff. Pastor Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Perry, as always, it was awesome, and we will see all of, all of you guys next month. <laughs>